everyone. This is Chris and Sandy Mick with the Chris and Sandy Show. We get up close and personal with some amazing guests throughout the entertainment industry. And today, like I say on every episode, we've got a great one for you. Who do we have? Yes, we're so excited to have John Tesh with us today. He is a legend in TV, music, sports casting, and radio. You may know him from Entertainment Tonight and the Intelligence for Your Life radio program. And we're proud to bring him on. And yes. you know what? His family is really great. They're doing some great things. They are. You know, we kind of are trying to follow in the same footsteps because that's what we're doing too. Yeah. So we're excited to have him on. So John, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. I would not, uh, I would stay out of our footsteps. I would stay out of, stay out of the footsteps. First of all, I'm a size 16, so uh, your whole family could fit in there. I was just thinking though, uh, since I have this out of tune piano here, it's uh Welcome to the Chris and Sandy Show. <coughs> Sandy. Welcome to the Chris and Sandy Show. Welcome it. to the Chris and Sandy Show. Jazz, jazz chord. Thank you. <laughs> yep, we needed a song intro. Perfect. Yeah, it's funny. We've done 450 interviews and we don't have an intro. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Hey, now you have it. Yeah. Basically, our show is just a raw story that grassroots. Grassroots. Yeah. We just, you know, we love to talk. We love to talk with all the guests that come on. Yes. And we just enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Good. I'll see if I can't pick up on some of that. <laughs> <laughs> now, as you know, this last 18 months or so, and I always like to start here with yes. everybody. Last 18 months or so has been rough on a lot of people because of COVID. How did COVID affect you and what you do? And what have you done to kind of get through this phase of our lives right now? Well, it's probably a, a different answer than you would expect. But uh, I, you know, prior to COVID, so for five years, I, in 2015, I was given 18 months to live. And so uh, we, my wife and I, when we heard that, we said no, and we 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 put together a uh, a, a Navy Sealish attack on cancer oh, wow. that uh, that's resulted in me being uh, alive today. And wow. <laughs> at this point, my wife Connie's like, "What have I done? He's still alive." <laughs> um, but uh, it and it was a combination of just some some, you know, high tech, the normal stuff that anybody can get, you know, chemo and all this <laughs> of that stuff and, and androgen deprivation therapy and, and, and like really crazy diets and, and, uh, and, and some focused prayer on just the healing scriptures that are in, in, mm-hmm. in the Bible. And the result was, was, you know, it, it ended up coming back twice. And, and the wow. latest one was October, uh, of, uh, of 2020. Uh, but uh, but we ended up killing it again, or the doctors and 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 and, and Jesus Christ and, and yeah. ended up helping me get healed. But uh, so I'm I'm very familiar with suffering, and in fact, I've reread Viktor Frankl's book *Man's Search for Meaning*. He's a Holocaust survivor that you probably know mm-hmm. of uh, a couple of times during during uh, the treatments that I, that I went through, and wow. and, the, and the treatments left me. With you know, with only one kidney and with some you know plumbing that's been rewired and and just you know and everybody who's had chemo or any of that that treatment understands that uh, yeah, and then you're re- removing hormones from your body and everything and there's a there's a mm-hmm. lot of collateral damage that goes on. So that's sorry for the long lead up, but when we got to COVID, I'm like, okay, 
this is how you live I mean, anyway. I don't want to, I, I don't want to demean anybody who's been through. Yeah. I, I, I haven't had COVID, but uh, but it's definitely. I understand a couple of things. Mm-hmm. One is how to stay safe. The other is mm-hmm. uh, is not to politicize it. And then the third yeah. thing yeah. is exactly. is just understanding that God wants me well. You know, yes. and 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 so that was that's what enabled me to get out of bed. And then the advocacy, having having an advocate like uh, like Connie, uh, was uh, is is something that created a massive love affair between us. And we we're in our thirtieth year of marriage at this point. So uh, the difference, in, yes. I I've always I've always worked well in the last ten years. I've worked from this studio home. We have a recording studio and TV studio just because it's the tra- traffic in Los Angeles is nutty. So we thought we work from home. <laughs> so when people when, when people ask me, you know, you know how oh, how is how is it being quarantined? I'm like I don't know because this is really all I you know all I know, uh, and and it just means better food for me because my wife's a great cook. Uh, you know, talking about that's funny because, you know, for many years, because we've been a 24-7 couple pretty much since the whole time we married almost 19 years yes, ago. Yes, and we've always homeschooled our son, our nine-year-old. And, and so, so many people have put us down through the years for that time. Oh, we're unhealthy. We're this. We're that as a married couple. And when the shutdown started happening last year, I told Sandy, I was like, look at this ironicness. Everybody who has told us that we're so unhealthy is now having to live our life. Yeah. 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 It's true. It's really true. And you know, I, I, I actually had, I, I, I wasn't thinking about this when, when I picked my mate and yeah. she picked me, but, but my, my life, I like for the last, at least for the last 10 years, especially has been very much like the life that my grandma and grandpa in North Carolina uh, led where, and I, and every summer my parents, I, I was born on Long Island, but my whole my the whole several generations of my families are farmers in North Carolina, rural, rural North Carolina, and so my parents would drop me off at my grandparents' house. I saw you in this book that I wrote, and and it's like so June, July, uh, and August. I w- I worked a farm, and and yeah. which is crazy for a city kid, right, a New York kid. But yeah. but I, I I learned a lot of stuff, and I learned what a switch was. If people uh, don't yeah. understand that, it's it's a it's a piece of a tree that that, that the grandpa yeah. uses as uh, as corporal <laughs> punishment. Um, but also but also I watched my grandma and grandpa work together side by side the whole day on the farm. Mm-hmm. You know, and and wow. and it was and that's really what same for me, me and Connie. I mean, we work we work together twenty four seven. We 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 work together. We work on radio shows together, and and but it took me a long time. It took me like the first. 20 years of my marriage to realize that 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 probably my bit my best business partner was indeed my wife you know we always tried to keep it we she's in, she's a in, you know, famous actress and i was always on either on the news or in, doing concerts and stuff like that but we but it, it was really more me realizing it because she knew it all the time that, that our partnership could actually be a great business relationship as well and i see that you talked about in the past that she basically saved your life i can relate to that because i went through 19 years of addictions until god healed me almost 14 years ago but the first five years of our marriage i was in the middle of those addictions right and so i really believe god brought her into my life in order to heal me and she went through a lot she was my cheerleader she never really nagged me. She always uplifted me, said, we can do this. We, whatever I had, we wanted to do, let's do it. Um, and so those first five years, because of my addictions, was really hectic on her. And sometimes people would say, oh, she allowed you to walk over her. And they don't understand that she allowed me to experience God's pure love through her. Because if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be here. 
That's good. That's good. You know, there are, there are things uh, we, I mean, we've seen it just in, I mean, just in the world of prostate cancer, right? We've seen it uh, because it, you know, prostate cancer, you know, it, it, it attacks your, the, I call it the engine room of your, of your male body. Right. And so <laughs> there are, you know, there are many marriages and we've talked to people about this that have been torn apart by, by, you know, by that, by that particular sickness. And we also, we live in a family where, where Connie's brother was, was addicted to, uh, to drugs, not alcohol, but, but uh, to crack cocaine for 35 years. Wow. And my son and I ended up doing an intervention on him and he, he got pulled out. But I, I can tell you, I mean, my opinion is because when I was going through the second round of treatments of cancer, I became a cancer patient. That's a, Sorry, that's a whole nother story uh, of, of, of what that does to you in you know, Proverbs 18, 21, where you start speaking like a cancer patient and you become a cancer patient. Yeah. But in the middle of that, I started because when you're a cancer patient, uh, you know, and, and it's, you know, the people around you anyway are whispering and they know it's supposed to, supposed to be a terminal illness. You just get anything you want. So I had all the Vicodin. I had all the oxy, oxycodone that I could that I wanted, you know, for for the pain or whatever or uh, or uh, what, do you, what do you call it? Ativan, you know, for sickness. And then and then I was chasing it with uh, with, with scotch. And and wow. so uh, I, I believe uh, and I know everybody's different, but I actually believe it's it's easier to get over a disease like cancer than it is to get over a, a really serious uh, ad addiction. Um, that's just my opinion. Yeah. But yeah. but a lot of people don't people don't a lot of times they don't give addiction the, the credit it needs yeah. for for how insid in, insidious it is. Right. Because a lot of yeah. people are like, well, just stop. Just stop drinking. And, stop kid, taking the pills. and that's the part that people don't get you. You know, when, when, yeah, when you first start an addiction's not taking hold, that's when you can stop. They don't get that. Once you get right, to a right, certain right, right. point, yeah, that's, that's when it, that's when it changes into a disease, I think. Well, and that's the same thing for, for a, a diagnosis like mine, where, you know, the, the most dangerous thing, and there's actually, I mean, I keep, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean to promote the relentless book, but there's a, there, there, the, the, my cancer journey is titrated all through my life story. We just yeah. kind of went flashed yeah. back. Like, exactly. you know, like, yeah, but, 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 but part of what, what I, I talk about in there and it's, and it's real is that the difference between a, a an addiction, like what you're talking about and what you beat and the cancer that I beat is that if you have cancer, people actually feel sorry for you and they will bring you anything that you want, right? right? And so you, you, face, you face the specter of actually becoming that cancer patient. Or and you've, seen people in, you've seen people in wheelchairs, uh, you know, who are, well, there's some, there's some people who there's, they just can't get out of that wheelchair, but there are other people who, you know, you, you're, you're comfortable. Right. And you're, you're comfortable in that in that in that situation because people are bringing you stuff and it's and it's tough to, 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 to fight that. Now, if you're you know, if you have a crippling disease, what are you going to do? Obviously. Yeah. Right? right. But there yeah. there there are some people who have a problem with eating, for example, and they end up mm -hmm. so heavy that they're in a wheelchair. And then and, and then what happens is you get that kind of wheelchair sympathy, uh, sympathy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I'm treading on if, I'm treading on iffy waters here, and I'm not putting anybody down. Yeah, trying not to, but but it is that thing of with an addiction, you there's I, I you really don't get, and you can speak to this obviously, but you you really don't get that kind of compassion because most <laughs> people, and, and I've been guilty of this myself, was you would just stop. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because because yeah. the only compassion so I got really was her. But at the same time, I think another reason, too, with addiction, it's a hidden. In most cases, 
it's hidden, especially at least for me. Um, we went to a lot of business events here in Savannah mm -hmm. and um, they would have all the free alcohol, but I wouldn't drink nothing there. I would only drink at home. So yes, everybody that knew us had no idea that I was going through this. As far as they knew, I didn't even drink, you know, even though I was at home drinking everything away. This was my dad. Same thing with my dad. He was a vice president at Haynes uh, Underwear and he would come home and he was, he was fine. Everybody just thought he was this great sales guy and he would come home and he would drink heavily. Now, wow. he was also a World War II you know, veteran who yeah. back then, uh, I was born in 52. So back then it was PTSD and nobody knew what it was. So oh, what they did yeah. was they called, they called our pastor over to try and, you know, to, to help things. And he, had, he didn't have any skills to do that, right? Yeah. Uh, any, any earthly skills anyway. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, the thing, and I, I mean, and I, listen, when I was in New York at 23 years old in a job that I was, I was way over my head and I was a CBS news correspondent at 23. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, and three years earlier, I had been in a tent homeless in North Carolina trying and to- And let's, you know, let's talk about that a little bit before we go yes. into that. Um, sure. Go back and you're in college and I hear you got kicked out of college and kicked out of your home. Tell us how that story. I, I like to hear this story because sometimes parents will push their beliefs on what their child should do in life. Yes. And I think your story is so great that, you know what, parents need to hear this. They look, they don't have to be that doctor. They don't have to be that lawyer. They need to be who God called them to be. Yeah, that's good. I, You know, first of all, I think it's pretty amazing the way, uh, in the, when, you're, when you're old enough, I mean, and you know, you guys are still young whippersnappers. But when you get to a certain <laughs> age, you start to see these patterns, and where 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 a parenting and even and even work life and even politics, right? They, it swings so far over and then swings back, you know. And there's sometimes there's a little middle ground going on. But but with parenting, you know, one of the things that that a lot of us baby boomers did was was go the other way which was uh, just do whatever you want, honey. Just wait, wait, you know, And then it's like, you know, go, go ahead and date this guy. Everything will be fine. You know, you'll figure it out yourself, you know. But back in the day, our parents, my parents really wanted, they had a vision for me and they wanted to protect me. So what happened was my mom was the one that got me piano lessons since I was, you know, six years old, piano and trumpet. And so I, I had a great, uh, great amount of, of musical training in two different areas, you know, marching band and orchestra, and then also wow. solo piano. And so uh, I was most of my life, I was creating things in our basement. That was the other thing that happened to us back in the Halcyon days on, on Long Island of the 1950s and early 60s yeah. was that our parents didn't even know where our schools were. I mean, it was just, they knew they, they knew how to get there once, which was parent-teacher yeah. day, right. you know, uh, which dad barely make, made. But but mostly it was just go outside and when the street lights come on, you come back home. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and then you go in the basement or whatever, you know? <laughs> so I was always, I was always, uh, I was like the Adams family. You know? I, I was always, creating stuff down in there. And so if, if you were able to, to go back and look into the old crystal ball at what I was doing there, you said, oh, he's going to be a theater geek or he's going to be do something in music or in media or something like that. I, I was recording stuff. I was, you know, I had the eight millimeter film camera and all the rest of that. But when it came time to go to college, I, I gave my father the, the, the list that, uh, of, of schools that me and my, my, my friends, Donnie Holman and Paul McGinnis and Paul Abbott and all those guys, we were going to go on a, on, a, on a road trip like a lot of students do, you know, mm -hmm. as, as, uh, uh, as uh, rising seniors. And, and so it was all, 
performing at his Berkeley School of Music, you know, and, and, and all these places. And he said, no, 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 no. I have already enrolled you uh, early decision wow. at North Carolina State in the textile chemistry program. You know, I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah you know, it's, 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 a, you could do music as much. And, no and, and you guys, yeah, right. You could do music as much as you want. It's, that's fine. But you're not going to be able to earn a living. And the good news is, Johnny, um, I, I'm going to, uh, I'll have a job waiting for you in the, in the textile chemistry lab at Haynes when you get out, uh, which is where he had me working a, a lot of summers yeah. as, a, as a teenager. And so I was like, uh, and, and I just, you know, I mean, he was a chief petty officer in the Navy and I, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, uh, I, I really felt and feel like going up against him. I should have, I should have yeah. just, mm -hmm. I don't know, something. But anyway, I went off to school and after two semesters, uh, two years of that, two and a half years of textile chemistry with a 1.9 grade point average, uh, a friend of mine said, hey, there's an easy A to bring up your GPA. It's called Radio and Television 101. Oh, and wow. I'm going to go in there. Why don't you take it with me? He was a member of the soccer team and I had also gotten on the soccer team there. And so we took it and, and you know, this feeling instantly, I, I got hit by that bug. You know, uh -huh. I got yes. hit by that. But, and I said, wait a second, I can work all day and then turn something in that's three minutes long and it's awesome. You know, we were editing, you know, editing on real <laughs> videotape and real audio tape with razor blades and stuff like that. Wow. And so I decided I needed to change my major uh, and I was not going to contact my parents about this. And so I had most of my professors, like five of them. Uh, said, okay, fine, you know, we'll, we'll sign the drop ad card, if you remember those. Uh, and my statistics professor said, no, 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 you're past the drop ad time. I can't sign this. I just want to follow university policy. And long story short, on advice from a fraternity brother, uh, I may, and I may, have had a beer, I may have had a beer or two, uh, I decided to sign the professor's name to the drop ad card. And things were fine for a couple of months. I, all, my major was changed, um, and I'm working, I'm working at the dad, my dad's lab in, in, uh, at Haynes in North Carolina because they had moved to North Carolina. And he had a holding plan, right? So he got in-state in tuition and everything. And a letter came from the university. I tell this story on stage, and when I finish telling the story, people are like, oh, you know, and and he read the letter to me in his den, with a scotch in his left hand and a Kent cigarette hanging out of his mouth, uh, and he he said, you know, you've shamed me, you've shamed wow. your mother, you've shamed mm -hmm. our church, you've shamed our uh, Brit, her bridge club. I'm like, Wait, what? You just went down to that shame list, you know, shamed the uh, you've shamed the entire underwear division, you know, and, like, oh. <laughs> and, I, uh, and so he said, you're no longer welcome in our house. And wow. so I, so I had a, an old Volkswagen that I had fixed up and I got in there and rode back to the university area in Raleigh. And I, I took my Boy Scout pump tent and set it up in the park and pumped gas and worked wow. construction for about six mm -hmm. months. And finally, I just said, this is it. This is going to be my life if I don't do something. And so mm -hmm. I, I ha had a friend of mine help me break into the campus <laughs> radio station because I was already a criminal. And <laughs> And he uh, and he and, and so I made a tape and I, and I but I did it with you know like I I had a uh, it was like you know this is John Tesh WKIX twenty twenty news I was a little there was an upright piano there there was a microphone I did the helicopter traffic report ah traffic is reasonably heavy on the uh, I forty and there was a typewriter so I could do the, the teletype thing and I made a fake radio broadcast on a reel to reel oh, tape. Wow. It wow. was really ridiculous. It was about 15 minutes long. I did all the different voices. <laughs> this is Maurice Gindy in Cairo. Back to you in the studio, John. You know, and <laughs> I, I took this tape to a couple of radio stations. I made a dub of it. And this one guy named Scott White, who I still stay in touch with, was the news director of the big AM station, WKIX in Raleigh. 
Uh, and he said, hey, he called me up on the payphone, which was next to where my tent was. <laughs> and he said, hey, is this John? I said, uh, yeah. And he goes, where am I calling you? I said, oh, in my office. <laughs> and uh, he said, did you do all of the voices and everything on this tape? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, I, I, I need to meet you. So I went in there, hair down to here, and, uh, and, and sandals, and went into the station. And, and again, he was there when I when, during the uh, Hall of Fame and uh, in, Radio Hall of Fame induction uh, a few wow. years back. But he said, uh, uh, "Do some demos for me." So I, I, I read some some copy out of the teletype, and he said, ah, "You're you, you may have some potential, but but I can I can use you on Sunday mornings at five o'clock in the morning playing the religious tapes." I said, I'll, I'll take it. And, you know, you get your foot in the door. Somebody left. They needed a newsreader, you know, on Sunday at 2 a.m. or something. And I did that and swept the floors and went out and covered news events and didn't ask for any money. I just, you know, got in my Volkswagen and covered stuff. And it was amazing. And things went well. And then I got a job at the local TV station. And then the, the anchorman uh, at Channel 11 showed up drunk one day. And I was the only guy in the studio under 72 years old. Uh, and which then they considered to be old. And, and so they, they gave me a sport jacket and I did the news there. And I wow. did that for about four months. I started sending out tapes to, to uh, headhunters and they got me a job in Orlando. And then, and then in Nashville in 1973 was really the turning point for me. I got a job there anchoring with a guy named Dan Miller. The weather person was Pat Sajak. In 1974, <laughs> and the reporter, the reporter on the competing station in Nashville was Oprah Winfrey at 19 years old, and that's where yeah. I learned how to be a journalist. Because yeah, one of the, our guests that asked the question about whether you really dated Oprah Winfrey. Is it true that? Yeah, we did. We 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 were, we became uh, fast friends, and we were covering the same events for different <laughs> yeah. stations, and so we would go out to lunch together, and then we, you know, we, oh wow, uh, yeah, the uh, the I mean, we we both had a, a pretty dark sense of humor at the time because this was. <laughs> Nashville in 1974, wow. and oh, so wow. you have a very white guy and a black woman, uh, you know, out together <laughs> at a restaurant, and so we would, you know, I, I would, I'd call her up at the station after the, you know, after the six o'clock news, and and I'd say, hey, hey, Opie, do you want to, uh, do, do you want to go empty a restaurant tonight? <laughs> so we would go into a restaurant, people would leave, you know, it's like that. Anyway, uh, I, you know, I still every now and then stay in touch with her, but it was, you know, people, had, people made a lot of this a couple of years ago in, in a, in a, in a tell-all thing that uh, Kim wow. Kelly did. But uh, yeah, and then so then I sent out, I kept sending out tapes in Nashville when I was being trained by this great news director, and and WCBS in New York uh, sent me a letter saying uh, we really want you to come talk to us, and that was crazy, scary, scary, scary. In in the newsroom, I was in the newsroom with John Stossel, Meredith Vieira, uh, Brian Williams, and uh, and Bill O'Reilly uh, came in right as I was leaving. Yeah, it was it was. Those were heady times for me. I didn't get much sleep. Man, uh, yeah. What was Nashville like back then compared to now? Well, it was funny because in, in 1974, there weren't any there weren't any local news stations. There was a thing that happened. I talk about this in the book. There was a thing that happened back in the 1973 to 75, all, all the way through the 80s, really, where uh, eyewitness news was born, right? And there was a guy named Al Primo, who who invented that where it was it was longer newscasts with banter between and you may remember yeah. this I mean, you may not remember Cronkite but but he uh Cronkite was the guy you know he was and then uh, Huntley and uh 
Huntley and Brinkley, I think, were on NBC, and and uh, and Barbara Walters ended up eventually as one of the anchors on, on ABC, and that was very controversial to have a woman actually actually anchoring the news. Now it's the, now it's it's normal, more normal than having a guy do it. Um, but anyway, so back then. Uh, uh, there was no like f- f- happy talk is what they call it. Happy talk news where <laughs> you would, you, they didn't have weather on the news. It was just the news. They didn't have sports either, but you talked <laughs> to the weather guy talked to, and then they spent all this money on the sets. And there was a, you know, the, uh, you know, the news, the, you know, this news things. <laughs> This is eyewitness news, you know. <laughs> I wrote a couple of those, uh, but but it was that that was really at the time the, the a real sea change for for local news. And so, uh, in Nashville, they were always ahead of the game for some reason. Uh, and so, Channel Five and Channel Four in Nashville, they were the first live action cameras. So the mini cams, the yeah. ENG mini cams. So they switched from film. To 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 tape on these giant tape cameras, and and also did live, you know, and the whole thing was let's go live, and so they had these they had these microwave trucks that you, you see you still see everywhere today. Yeah. Now today they're satellite trucks, but back then it was yeah. microwave. Uh, they had yet had to send it to a building, the top of a building. And since, wow. uh, yeah, since our station also owned a couple of buildings, were owned by by a life insurance company, they they were able to get you know, a jump on all that. So that was really what I was doing. I was doing all this live reporting and, and all the rest of that. But there wasn't an hour worth of news in Nashville back then. Yes, but it was like there there was no Franklin, Tennessee. I mean, Franklin was like. <laughs> I don't know, Amy Grant uh, and and sixteen hundred horses. You know what I mean? It was oh, that's that's what that was. You know, but yeah. but so so it was a lot of. Uh, this is where Oprah was born, by the way. This is really where I'm, I don't mean born physically, but yeah. this is where yeah. her, this was where her career was created because they would send her out. Uh, they had like twenty minutes to fill in each newscast. They send her out, and she would do these long interviews with somebody at a garden party or or whatever it was as a dog park opening or something. And she was and, she, and I remember she would. It's easy for me Monday morning quarterback Oprah, but she was so talented that she could make. You know, a huge, wonderful story out of out of nothing. You know, right. and so that's what Nashville was like back then. And so we were able to do longer stories. I would do five and six minute news stories. So when I got when I got to New York, we went back in time. So New York was all was all film. So here I was shooting, going out, and thinking I could just send back something live, but it was you had to wait for it to be developed before we could wow. put it on the air. Yeah, yeah. Oprah's one of the people I kind of look up to as a host here. Because I, I like her style because, you know, you know, you look at a lot of people, they ask the question, get answer. But Oprah involves her story into your story when she talks to you. Yes. And, and, you know, when she bring when, when you when you're in the conversation with her, what I've noticed is that if you say something that brings her bell, she will add a story of hers. Yeah. With that, to really, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. I love that because that's you know, again, that's what I do. Is I bring my story into the story, and like, some people don't like that, but I don't care. It's my show. <laughs> sure, sure. The, the the problem. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not pinning this on Oprah, but the problem with <laughs> with with high level uh, interviewers and hosts, uh, broadcasters today is, and, and, uh-huh. and Connie Connie has to say to me, she says that you are not allowed to sit next sit close to the television because she's afraid I'll pull it off the wall is that is, is that is that late night hosts you've seen it happen late late mm-hmm. night hosts uh, broadcasters uh, um, interviewers they've taken sides 
they've taken sides in what's going yeah. on in, in, yes. the, in, in the world today. And, yeah. and we were not, I was never taught that. You could never take a side. Never. The only person who could do that at CBS when I was there was Eric Severide. And he would, mm-hmm. he would do, and they would, and they would put commentary under the bottom yes. of it. But once mm-hmm. all that, once all this, uh, once all the stations were deregulated and all the rest of that madness, uh, it, it, it and, and especially, you know, right at, right at COVID and even, and even before that, we, you know, we took sides and, yeah. and, and it was, you know, the, the sometimes evolution of, of these types of things isn't the best way to go. And what's, and what's, yeah. what happened back in the day was that you reported the news and you could, exactly. you could go to your church or to a, or to a party or dinner party, whatever you could take sides there, but we were not yeah. allowed. I mean, if, if I ever took a side on the air, uh, I'd be fired instantly. Yeah. Yes. Like like Jay Leno, when he did hit the, the Tonight Show, I really liked how he did. He, you could tell what side he was on, but at the same time, he still made it funny. He really knocked both sides. He and did. He, he, was, yes. he had a really good, to me, knack this, that, that even though you knew where he stood, he still was able to overcome that by really focusing on funny stuff on both sides. I agree. I agree. And, and you know, and before him, uh, you know, uh, uh, Johnny Carson, Jack oh, Parr, uh, Sid Caesar, all the rest of those guys. And, and, and one of the knocks on on comedians now, and, and I, just, I just don't I don't think it's entirely their fault, of course. But yeah. it is that they're they're not funny anymore because and, and Howie is even Howie Mandel, my friend, has, has even has even said this is that uh, and, you know, we did an interview recently with uh, Jerry Seinfeld and I used to live on the same street, you know, oh, wow. and and. and uh, uh, I, I remember, you know, talking to him in an interview about the, the fact that it's hard for him, for, hard for anybody really these days who's a comedian to go on campus because campuses are so polarized. Mm-hmm. And so they if you are. pick, if you pick, if you pick the wrong group or wrong person to go after, one of the people who's figured this out is 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 a comedian you may not know about. His name is Bill Burr. And he's yeah. sort of known. He's sort of known as the angry comedian. He just doesn't take any. He doesn't take any of this. But I. But it's that. That's all. That's the only thing I lament. I don't want to be like the angry. I mean, Steve Allen would be like this. He was like the angry entertainment guy. He's like, oh my gosh, I want to go back to the old days. But I really do want to go back to the old days. So what am I supposed to say? Uh, yeah, because you know, because I, you know, you know, when you look at people like a Steve Harvey, Chris Rock, and all that, who who basically grew their um, base through being a comedian what they did back then couldn't work today yeah no no well (laughs) here's the look at look at uh uh archie bunker all in the family (laughs) no i don't uh, i I mean i you know listen i think that i I think that's that 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 some of the stuff was was way too much stereotyping yeah Uh, and and it's and we've we've been more careful balance in there there. you know yeah back in the back in the day they probably went too far now they're going too far this way like you were saying earlier is you know as you get older you start saying oh it's it's going this way now oh no no now it's going to yeah but you know but I think that if we could ever get to that middle ground where, you know what, you can be funny without going overboard, I think we can, if we ever get there, it would be awesome. Yeah. The only, the, the only I mean, I've, I've, I've picked a lane now where it's, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, I, and by the way, I, I, one of my favorite books, it's back there on the bookshelf somewhere, is Differentiator of Die by, by Jack Trout. And, and for those people who are thinking about, about uh, being entrepreneurs or going their own way. And a lot of people are because they're quitting their jobs to try and figure that out and and do an online business is, is, you know, you find a, find a lane that not everybody is in, you know, and and then stay in that lane because everything, everybody, 
you know, uh, in this carnal world and also in the spiritual world, the other guy is going to try and pull you, pull you out of it. The, the thing I, the, that Connie and I have the biggest problem with is this, is this movement uh, where people try to reinterpret the Bible and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and make it for, if, and, and, and claim that, that the Bible is not for today, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and so, uh, that just, my opinion is that's, that's wrong. And the way, the way we live our lives, Connie and I and, and, and our family, is, is as closely as we, as we can yeah. to, to the life Jesus wanted us to, to, to live. And, and so we, we never really get all the way there. But when, but when you see everything, when you see the wheels coming off of all the buses around you, it's like, okay, so why don't we get back, get back <laughs> to that? You know, the, the, the problem, of course. Get back right, to the root. Right. The problem, of course, with what's in the Bible and the word of God is that that there are churches, there are people who have weaponized that, you know, yep. and that's and that's really the knock on Christians is that, no, they're 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 not inclusive at all uh, mm-hmm. and they're judgmental. And I don't want to go to church. I don't want to I don't want to watch this. Online. I feel judged many times. I mean, yeah. even our show, you know, we started our this show out to be a up and coming country artist interview show. That was that was right. that was the roots yeah. of this show. Right. But COVID right. kind of expanded that into more entertainment, where it's yeah, both artists, actors, athletes, CEOs, all that, just entertainment in general. And and you know, when we made that transition, we were talking. You know, and some of the guests we've had on, I've had people tell me um, that you're not being Christian having that guest on. I'm like, I'm actually being Christian because I'm not judging that guest. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a bit, I don't know if it's controversial, but, but just so you know, just so you know, I, I, you know, I don't refer to myself. uh, First of all, I I don't ever ask somebody, Oh, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? You know, which is really sends the wrong, the wrong message. But uh, I mean, you know, Christ didn't run around going, uh, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? He didn't, he didn't didn't really, he didn't really interview anybody. He didn't want to know if anybody was, was, you know, what your pronoun was or any of that. He didn't want to know any of that. He just, he just acted with compassion, especially when he, when he was, when he was healing and, and 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 when he took our sins at the cross, obviously he was acting with, uh, with, with compassion. And so I, I perform, people say, are you a Christian? I say, I believe in the, in the word of God. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that, and usually that's confusing enough for people that they go, okay, next. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love that. So how did you and your wife meet? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, I, I, I hate people who say read the book, but uh, we, we met in the short story is we met, but read the book. Uh, the, the short story is that, that we met in a gym in, in Palm Springs. And I was doing an event with Lisa Gibbons, one of the other hosts from Entertainment Tonight, yeah. uh, the, the number one host being Mary Hart, of course. Mm-hmm. But, but Lisa and I were doing a, an event for IBM, a corporate event, and Connie was there with Greg Evigan, who are, I'm now one of my closest friends, they, shooting a thing called P.S. I Love You, P.S. for Palm Springs. And it was, oh. Connie was playing, Connie had this great role playing a... Uh, uh, a, a woman who had been, you know, a uh, a con artist who had been released from prison, who was now helping the helping the, the police. Right? It sounds familiar. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I had grown up watching Connie. I shouldn't say grown up because we're close to the same age. But but watching uh, Greatest American Hero, and I didn't really watch Hotel, but watching some of the movies that she had done, especially Greatest American Hero, mm-hmm. and I knew who she was. And when I, I went to the gym before my event and there was nobody else in the gym, but her on a bicycle. And she was dressed out like you women dress where, you know, the leotards and, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the headband and, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever, whatever you call leggings, whatever you call that mm-hmm. stuff. You know, she was on a bicycle. And I pretended I didn't see her. And I went and, and pretended to work out and, and, you know, trying to pull myself up on a, on a high bar, which was an epic <laughs> fail. And and as I was leaving, she said, oh, John, John Tesh, is that you? And I, I whipped around and said, oh. <laughs> Connie Selica, I didn't see you there. And, 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 and in typical Connie fashion, you know, fearless with her Bronx accent, she says, well, I, you know, we're the only two people in the room, you know, that kind of thing. And, and that's really what started it. And I, you know, I asked her out. But there's a, there's a whole part of this story where I panicked and stood her up. Wow. And, yeah. Yeah, I did. And, I, and then fought to get her back. And the method I used to get her back which was really the title of the book, which is Relentless, uh, <laughs> was, was uh, I just did not, I, I'd already disrespected her. And, and, I, and, and I, I went through this process of, of, of courting her from all over the globe. I mean, I was in, I was in Wimbledon covering, uh, in England covering Wimbledon. I was in Egypt and, and I just kept calling her and, and trying to get in touch with her and finally tricked her into doing an interview on the radio live <laughs> with, with somebody else and then i came on the interview and asked her out live on the air oh, so wow. that's that's the short version of the story but uh yeah she gave me the a rest is chance. history as i say uh, i mean there's, the, <laughs> there's some deep history in our in, in our relationship <laughs> Mo- mostly me making uh, making mistakes and, uh, and and her uh, her forgiving me. <laughs> yeah, thank God for second, third, fourth thousand chances. Wow. Yes. <laughs> now, um, as you know, a lot of people they see the glory of like what you do, glory of Blake Shelton, Mirandas, and all the big stars. Yeah. But they don't see the grind, the sacrifice, the tears, the struggles it takes, not just to get to y'all's level, but even a career level within entertainment. I always want to talk about that because I think it's so sugar-coated out there that people dive in to the entertainment world thinking, oh, it's going to be easy. I've got talent. I can do this. But it's way more than that. And and tell us some of the sacrifices you've had to make through the years. And I would love for you to start with the big one where you took the big chance that cost you a million dollars. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. It was a million. It was actually a million plus when it, when it was all done. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I get asked questions about because I'm I'm a very average person. I fin- finished in the middle of my high school class. Uh, was not popular. Was a, a band geek, music geek, uh, and so uh, and and sort of afraid of my own shadow. Very painfully, painfully skinny in junior high. I mean, I, I weigh yeah. I weigh two twenty five now, and I'm six six. And I, I I was six six as a junior high school student. I weighed one fifty two, so I you know I was not it wasn't I was very available on Sadie Hawkins night if uh, if anybody remembers what that <laughs> was, <laughs> girls asked the guys out, uh, but uh, yeah I, I, I it's interesting you ask because I'm I'm right at the end of, of of a creation process sort of my next act which is a a live streaming service that'll, that'll, that'll be on Vimeo and, and we're still testing it out. It's called the warrior mindset, yeah. the warrior yeah. minds, the warrior mindset.com. And, and it is basically everything that, that, that you guys talk about with all of these artists, which is how do you get from a to C or even mm-hmm. a, a to D uh, what, you know, what kind of a, what, what, what is it? Is it hard work? Is it grit? Is it luck? Is it, is it purpose? A bit of everything. It's a yeah, and and it's basically the, a change of mindset. And there are there are there are quite a few books 
about about mindset and, and even in the Bible, you know, second Corinthians 10, five, which is, uh, you know, uh, re- renew your mind, re- renew yourself to trans- transform yourself to the renewing of your mind. Right. So that's, that's the first thing. And so a lot of the teaching that's on that, on that website, uh, the warrior, that warrior mindset is, uh, is about that, how to get that. And then we're connected because we've done this radio show for so long. We're connected to, to uh, these high level experts, whether it's uh, James Clear and Atomic Habits or any of these folks that, that actually have strategies, right, to, uh, on, on, on how to do this. But, but just from trial and error, uh, I would say that, that it's, you know, I almost call this book Hard Work, Risk and Prayer. It's really, <laughs> it's really what it is. I mean, I, I devour these books. I devour marketing books. But also uh, books like uh, Angela Duckworth's uh, Grit, right? Where where there's where there's it's not just hey do this or here's a reason why you I mean you should fast because it's good for you. But but everything we do on the radio show is all data driven. We're not going to give you any advice that's not supported yeah. by 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 data that we understand exactly. and that we and that we that, that we find is is quality data, right? Not not some opinion. I mean, it's not going to be some guy saying. Uh, all right, you are vaccinated. You're not vaccinated. I'm not sure. You know, it's it's it it it's, mm-hmm. it it has to be. What is what is? Let me see the data. Let me see it all. Yeah. I want to see it. I don't want to hear it come out of your mouth. Just mm-hmm. just send send me the PDF of the of the data, right? And yeah. so uh, and so that's really the way I've lived my life, which is real really research based. Even when I was trying to get Connie back into you know, to to for a first date. I went to I went to um, all the TV TV guide articles. And I checked them out of the library. So oh wow! Back, I was, you know, anyway. So I, I there I believe in process. So I think that what, whether it's the people that you've interviewed who have been so successful, country artists, whatever, you know, whoever they are, business uh, CEOs, I, I think to a man and a woman they would probably at some point tell you that it's pretty boring what I do, you know, and 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 that's what that's where you win. You just have to do Les Brown, who's a great. Have you ever spoken yeah, to Les Brown, the motivational him. speaker? Oh, yes. Yeah, just tremendous. Awesome. I mean, I, I listen to his stuff like at least two or three mornings. You know, in these motivational videos that I've I've mm-hmm. created for the for the website. But he, you know, his thing is, you know, I just keep doing the same thing every day. Now, that doesn't mean stuff that's not going to move you forward in your life. But you make a plan yeah. and you go through yeah. the process because people who set these giant goals. And then they're like, they start to, they find something online where it's like, if I just imagine myself, mm-hmm. it'll come true, right? I'll ju- I'll be able to manifest. The Bible tells me to manifest this. No, it doesn't, you know. <laughs> but 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 it's it, it is about that. I hate to say it's about hard work, but even beyond hard work, it's it's having a process. And so mm-hmm. when I realized that there wasn't any, no one's coming to save me. That there was no mm-hmm. record company, even even at Entertainment Tonight, when twenty three million people a night were seeing me. <laughs> Go figure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody would give me a record deal. I, I, I have all the turned down, even even from a guy who became my friend, you know, Clive Davis. Afterwards, just just not for us. And the reason it wasn't for them was because I had such an image as a broadcaster of entertainment news uh, on uh, on Entertainment Tonight. That how could this guy possibly? And now it's different, right? Because everybody can be everything. Wow. But back then, the guy, the, the guy who signed Billy Joel was not interested in signing John Tesh to a, a new age deal. <laughs> so I, I realized that I had to do something completely different, and that it was going to be a risk. And basically, it was let's follow the roadmap of the three tenors, and even Yanni, who became my friend later. Mm-hmm. 
what, uh, and, and do what they did because these guys couldn't get a record deal either, right? <laughs> or, or, right. or even, or even Mannheim Steamroller. So I just, I just reached out and talked to all of those people. I found that the, the promoter, and yes, I had an advantage because I was calling as, yeah, yeah I'm calling from entertainment yeah. tonight, right? Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> what, what I was doing was I was, I was hacking their process. I figured out what yeah. their process was yeah. and then I hacked their process. Mm-hmm. Great book by Austin Kleon called Steal This Book, uh, Steal Like an Artist. Oh, wow. Abby, Abby Hoffman wrote Steal This Book. Uh, <laughs> steal, <laughs> steal, like, steal Like an Artist. And basically what he's saying is you, you need to go emulate these people. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't, we're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, about, about, uh, about uh, plagiarism. We're just talking yeah. about look, at, look yeah. at what they're doing. Do that. And that's how I got the, my first job as a radio anchor too. I, I just studied everybody and I tried to emulate yes. them. But so I just studied what these guys were doing. They're all doing PBS specials. And so I went to PBS and said, uh, hey, I have an idea. It's me playing all my music with the Red Rocks Symphony Orchestra because I figured that the best concerts were being done at Red Rocks. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, that's interesting, but nobody knows you as an artist. How many people are you bringing to your concerts? And I said, uh, I've done like 30. <laughs> and, so, and so they said, no, no. But if, but if, you, if you create it, we'll take a look at it. And that's wow. really what the deal was. I had no deal. And so <laughs> I went to my wife and said, this is, this is my chance. You know, uh, I, wow. I read a book. I read a book by Ken Kragan. Do you remember that name, Ken Kragan? Sounds familiar. Yeah. So Ken Kragan was actually a manager of country artists. And he was, I think, he, he was the one that started. He's a neighbor here somewhere. Uh, he started We Are the World. He created We Are the World. Oh, and wow. and he, oh. he wrote a book called Life is a Contact Sport. Yeah, and, and I read that book on, on vacation. And that's what I realized. I have to take a massive risk for, for my, my dream, which Boy. I do not recommend for anybody to take the risk that Connie <laughs> and I took. But yeah, we, were, we, we would have been in danger of losing our home. And what happened was about four songs in, you can see this on the PBS special, but about four songs into the concert, it started raining and rained us out. And but the audience didn't leave because they were used to rain at Red Rocks, and so we we continued to play with the core band, meaning like six of us, because yeah. the violinist, the yeah. violinist and cellist, they, they can't play in water. water. They, they left, and so there's no orchestra. But we continued to play in the driving rain, and that segment of us playing like five songs in the driving rainstorm raised the most money for PBS <laughs> because <laughs> because it was the most interesting, you know. Yeah. And, and as one of my pastors once said, you know, you need to. You need to look over your shoulder every now and then because you might be backing into a blessing. But that show, uh, we went from selling 500 records a month to 50,000 uh, in about two weeks. And, and, we, wow. and we, we were selling them out of the garage. We, were, we, we had a manufacturing plant that we had, and we were calling up record stores everywhere. And they said, yeah, people are asking for that. Can we get some? And ship them a box and <laughs> go over, take, take them a box and they give you some cash. I mean, it really, it was ridiculous, you know? Wow. Uh, because, but, but, but perception versus reality, you know, people are like, well, wait, you're the host of entertainment tonight. Why would you go into a record store and check to see if your records are there? I said, because that's what I care about. You know, and, and so you have to do everything. And then I called every single public television station every week and checked to see if they needed anything from us, if they needed any, because they all behave differently, right? Each, each market yeah. behaves differently. And, uh, and, and, to, and to that day, that's the way I'll launch anything. Is, is wow. It. So, and I think country artists will tell you, I mean, I, I've interviewed Garth a couple of times, you know, and, and he'll tell you that the secret to his success was staying for two and a half, three hours after, after his early concerts yeah. and meeting everybody, you know, oh, shaking wow. everybody's hand. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, Taylor Swift, she's same way, you know, pe- people love her because she's personable with her fans. You know? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and because, and because she's such a good person, she has people like Kanye get on on stage and make her even bigger than she was. And that's true. <laughs> you know, sometimes true. you wonder if that. her and Kanye make a deal because it didn't work. <laughs> if, if Kanye wanted it to be one way, it did yes, not work. It did not work. Yeah. <laughs> it went yeah. the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you know, she her, her the equivalent the equivalent of her uh, of her going from you know standing, standing at a concert shaking hands, which she's way too way too big for that now, is her doing it on social media. You know she spends a lot yes, of time on social media. But 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 Taylor Swift and every country artist, most every country artist, because I you know uh, in, when I spent that time in Nashville, I spent a fair amount of time in picking parlors. You know and at the exit in in Nashville watching oh, yeah. Steve Martin. You know uh, uh, during mm-hmm. doing his first gig there wow. is you you realize that especially in, in country music you realize that. If you if if there's nothing there, if you can't you know, way before auto tune, right? If you can't sing, if you can't perform, or if you can't write, whatever, you will be found out instantly. Really quick. It's, it's really? almost like it's almost like owning a. You know, I live in Los Angeles now, and so there are restaurants here that are terrible. And the reason they they continue to make money is that we're we eat geographically in Los Angeles because everything is just so spread out. Right. Mm-hmm. But in New York, New York is like country artists because there's a if, you, if, if there's a restaurant that you went to tonight and you didn't like it, there's one 30 feet away that, that you could go to. And so right. it so it really is a meritocracy yeah. there. And that's that's the way country music has been for so long, because you, you'll get I mean, maybe it's different now. I don't know. You would know. But but if you couldn't sing. Because the CMAs were always you know live 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 and and the, and the Grammys mm-hmm. became tape 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 and so <laughs> there are there, and there, but and, but there are people like well I I went and saw an event uh, it was it was the uh, Music Cares event for 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 drug addiction mm-hmm. is I saw uh, John Mayer who I thought was this you know this pop guy who did you know d- fathers and daughters and everything mm-hmm. oh gosh this is mm-hmm. a you know, manufactured song and he came on there and played blues as good as as uh, as BB uh, uh, King. And I was like, wait a second, this guy is real. And so, so yeah, if, if you, you got to have the goods and that's in everything, you know, it really yep, is in everything is. because people wouldn't listen to me on the radio if they didn't know who I was. I mean, meaning they didn't know what yeah. I believed. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, you know, I remember you all talking about, and, you know, you've got to get used to the grunt work, the daily work. And, you know, we definitely understand that because, you know, we this show launched 20 months ago and we've done 450 interviews now. <laughs> Yeah, you don't do 450 interviews if you're not working. Stay consistent. (laughs) We've been as consistent as you can be. We're throwing every, you know, and a lot of people, they see how much fun we have on these interviews. And because I'm in my zone, I love this. This is so much fun when we talk to our guests, but they don't see the behind the scenes outside of it where I'm emailing back and forth. This person's canceling. This person is not showing and this and that, and I'm going back and forth. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, people cancel last minute. And then I have to see if I can find somebody real quick to replace them. Uh, or we don't have a show that sometimes we don't have a show that day. And yeah. side jobs. And we do side jobs to stay afloat. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so yeah. it, it, I love that, that. But again, you have to follow. I like what you said. You have to fall in love with the daily work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. And and you, it is always these there's all these memes and uh, and things, on, you know, in Pinterest that says, you know, fall, fall in love with the journey. You know, I mean, there, but there's truth in there. There really is. It's it's and and I say fall in love with the process. Enjoy if you don't enjoy the process, and the other part too, right? And it's it's actually a quote from Nietzsche, which is 
uh, as long as you know your why, you can endure anyhow. Yeah. But but the why is what gets me popping out of bed, getting you know six hours sleep, and just editing a video because I know that I want to edit it before you know one of our concerts or some or something like that. But see, the other thing that you guys have done with that many with that many, uh, I see, I see an inexperienced interviewer would would interrupt the guests like all the time, just you know, just so that they could talk. Right? I learned I I lo- that. <laughs> I, I, I learned, yeah, I learned that lesson from Robin Williams. Where uh, I, I asked two questions in a one-hour interview, and he just took the whole thing, you know, <laughs> because it's because it, you know in the end your your goal is to is to have somebody you know say something that might that might encourage people or, or you know or, and or whatever. Easy when they run. I mean, I'll be honest. You know, I, you know, there are some guests I bring on. I go through everything. Yeah, and then I'm questions. and then I'm like, okay. Um, where do we go from here? But then there's right, other guests right, like right. you where I go through almost nothing on my page. And those and, are the best and those are Because, again, you run hear the story. And, and I would rather hear you. Talk. Again, I, I know when to pull our story. If, if it makes sense for part of our story to be in there, then I bring it in. But at the very beginning of our show, I've, I had 90 minute interviews almost back to back to back. And I finally figured out, OK, that's not working. Finally right. figured out I talk too much. Let Interesting. Yeah, more. well. Uh, but 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 I mean, you also have authority. You have you have. Uh, I, I I whenever I'm, whenever I uh, roll into a church or something like that, and I and and I just let's, let's say we're traveling or something like that. Uh, I I really enjoy listening to the pastors. This is going to sound so strange. I I I like listening to the pastors that have either literally been in a foxhole, right, <laughs> or beat drug addiction. Or yeah. beat some sort of an addiction, or yeah. their wife left them, and now they've they've renewed their life. I mean, whatever it is, but but the guy who yeah, or the woman who went to seminary and that's all they did, that's great. I think it's wonderful. But for me, <laughs> I, I'm old enough that you got to you, you, you have to have gone through something, right? And so mm-hmm. that's 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 what you you know you and you guys together have. And the other thing you you have is 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 authority, and and also you've got reputation. So. Uh, you know, I, we're all very busy, right? And I, I do a five-hour radio show every single day. So I, I didn't have time to do this, but I wanted to do it because I knew, I, I knew your reputation. And I have a, a, a PR guy, you know, Chris Roslin and Kate, who, you know, those, those guys, they're, they're not going to put anything in front of me where, where they think that I won't be able to make a difference in somebody's, in somebody's life. So that's the reputation you guys have. And doing those you know, 400, whatever it shows that you guys have done, that gives you that, that, that authority to be able to, uh, and, and that reputation, which is, which is, you can't get that by boosting a Facebook ad. You know, you just, you have to actually, you actually have to earn it like you did. I, I oh, love that. That means a lot, means to, a lot us. to us coming Thank from you. you. Um, now, and you just talked about a little bit of your team. In our opinion, teams never get the they love don't. they deserve. But on our show, they get some love. They're so important. So take a few moments to tell us about the team that helps you be who you are. <clears throat> yeah, it's it, it used to be a larger team, but we've um, we've we've sort of figured it out. I mean, we listen during COVID, we lost fifty percent of our revenue of our ad revenue. Uh, wow. um, yeah. uh, one of our big advertisers was 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 and still is. But back in back in during COVID, but before COVID, it was it was mm-hmm. uh, uh, Home Depot. But Home Depot realized they didn't need to advertise anywhere because everybody was going to Home Depot, <laughs> anyway. to, you know, to fix their 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 houses up. So anyway, we lost a bunch of money, and so we had to downsize a teeny bit. But uh, we, I, I almost instantly 
we came back, we came back from a concert run in, uh, in February of, uh, end of February in 2020, knowing that something was happening and almost, and almost within three weeks I had closed our office and sent everybody home. Wow. And so now everybody's working remotely yep. and they got, they, they yes. didn't like it at first, but they got, they got used to it. But Betsy Chase is our, has been our exec, my executive producer of content for about 20 years. Scott Myers, uh, is even before that, Scott Myers was, was promoting my music to radio stations. When I decided I wanted to do this radio show, the Intelligence for Your Life show, I told him he was the affiliate relations guy, and he said, "What's that?" And I said, "I'll teach you." <laughs> so I taught him just a little bit, and then he then he figured it out. So th those two are real linchpins. And then uh, we have you know Elizabeth Nagoski, who's, who's you know who's one of the folks that I deal with every day, who takes my voice tracks and, and makes wow. sure that they're cool and all of that. And uh, Jason Burns, who assembles the, the the show. Ben Harris is one of our writers and also helps produce the the Connie Selica uh, Health Show. And and then there's Mike uh, you know Mike Drolet, who's one of the uh, uh, the, the the Facebook uh, folks and also a uh, a video editor. Uh, and then. Um, uh, Jen Bowler, who saw another another writer, and then we use people, we use freelancers uh, all over the world. So I I have uh, our, our our ad agency is uh, is is Compass Media, and that's headed up by Peter Kosan, and wow. so and Paul Gregory is the, the sales guy there. So they sell they sell our radio show, uh, and it's a team. But this is a team, the core team, uh, with Betsy and, and and Scotty and the rest. Those guys have been with me for over twenty years, where, where it was just wow. a, a weekend show. And yes, that says so a lot they, about you. They, they know me and they know how I like to edit stuff and they know what, you know, but I'm, I'm a little too, my, even my wife says you're a little too involved in, you know, in all of this. <laughs> and, but Scotty also takes care of our, our, our touring stuff. But I use, I use, I say, I'd say right now I'm working with 18 people on Fiverr. Are you familiar, familiar with Fiverr? Yes. yes. Okay. So for those people who are not, and I don't, uh, I, I, I'm not getting a, a cut of mentioning Fiverr, but it's, it's just basically Uber for creative people. And so mm -hmm. I, I have uh, four people who, who edit all of my, my videos. Uh, Mike D does some of that too. Uh, but also uh, a, a, guy, a guy just today, I was on, uh, working on our Facebook ads for, for Facebook. There's uh, Connie and I did a photo shoot uh, over, the, over the weekend. We have four retouchers working on that. And uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's great because a lot of these folks are from all, from all kinds of different countries. And I, I, have a, I, I, I started a Facebook group called um, John, uh, John Tesh's motivational quotes and videos, oh, wow. which is uh, which is really blown up. It's like a thirty five thousand people in there in just in just a month. So I have somebody, you know, making sure that he's you know he's watching that that there's no hate speech or politics or anything and that stuff. So it, it really is just it's it's like it's scaling the stuff that you do. I'm still very involved, and of course my son Gib Gerard, he is he's on the show with me just about every uh, every show, and also. Uh, is is one of the managers of the program, and our, our daughter Prima, who is a uh, trained ballerina and modern dancer, she dances with us on stage. So it really is a a, a family yeah. thing. And you know, oh, speaking of family, perfectly, perfectly lead-in lead for this. Speaking of family and teens, we have a third co-host, yes. our nine-year-old, Christopher. I'll and so Sandy's going to go get him real quick to come ask two questions to you. Okay, um, sure. Great. He's been on almost every episode. And and I was like, oh, you know, with our time winding down here, I was like, oh, we better get him on here. And that is perfectly for what you just said. That's great. <laughs> yeah, our, uh, we have a, a, a nine-year-old granddaughter and, and a seven-year-old granddaughter. And then our grandson is going to turn five in a couple of weeks. Yeah, somebody asked, are you going to sing? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I don't think you, uh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Somewhere 
beyond the sea. She's there watching for me. That's funny. This piano is so out of tune. You know, it's like we have two pianos in the house, uh-huh. and uh, and they're both so out of tune. I, and that's the just the kind of stuff that you know I have, I have messes all over the house. But I also my pianos are a mess, and I need to get somebody in here to to do that. Oh, hey, what's up, man? Uh, hi, Jonathan. So, what's your favorite food? What's it? What? What's your favorite food? My favorite foods. Uh, I would say, I mean, these, I, I, it's, I'd like to say it's something really healthy, but my favorite food is is vanilla ice cream. Ooh. Uh, and everybody in my fam- family knows it. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, what's your favorite food? My, my favorite food is pizza. Pizza. Do you have a special kind? Yes, pepperoni, sausage, and supreme. <laughs> so what, what is in a supreme pizza? It's all a bunch of meats, yeah, like and, mushrooms, and mushrooms, onions, onions green, green peppers, peppers, sausage, right, pepper. Right, right, right. So, are you are you a um, are you a, re- a reader? Do you like to read books? Yes, I do. What's your favorite yeah. book that you can remember? Uh, Have you read any <laughs> Harry Potter? Huh? He reads like minion books and stuff right now. Oh, cool! Great. I, I, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, you and you. Oh, so you like to read, right? Okay, that's that's yeah. perfect. And what do, do you play? Any sports? Uh, no. Usually, a little bit of basketball, basketball man, like basketball. at church and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Oh, basketball! That's awesome. And what's yeah. it like? What's it like homeschooling? What, do you like that, or would you like to to get out in, in, into a real school? I shouldn't say real school. <laughs> into a brick and mortar school. You like it? You like it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what? I, I'll I'll tell you something. My one of my closest friends, Steve Thomas, he he uh, used to be for many many years, decades. He was the admissions director for Colby College in Maine, mm-hmm. and he told me we talk every day. But he he told told me that he, he can always tell when somebody comes in for an interview, an in person interview. He can always tell if the if the kid's been homeschooled. And right. I said, and I said, how do you tell? He goes, he's just just completely different, and they're, they're you know polite. And, uh, and, and, and they just, they know what they're talking about. They know how to give an interview and they're just a great, they're great to be around. So you're, uh, you, you have a bright future ahead of you. You're going to be, uh, you, 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 do you know what you want to be when you grow up? How about that? Where do you want to be? Uh, he's still in that process. Oh gosh. <laughs> hey, yeah. What's funny, what's funny yeah. is he's already been on a stage down in Nashville, um, playing drums with one of the people. So he was like, I want to be a drummer. So we're going to get him drums next year to kind of see what happens. Well, you, uh, I didn't know you were a drummer. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. So, yes. uh, do you, now do you, do He's you only watch been on one time? Oh, one time. <laughs> what had happened was we were walking along, um, hockey. We were in front of hockey talk central and, one of the people in the band seen him and and said, "Go give this um, drumstick to hit, to that little boy." So he gets his drumstick. We thought that was cool, but we didn't realize what was about to happen. So we crossed the street and we're in front of Dirk's Bentley Row, and we're watching that band play on the sidewalk. And the lead singer looked out the window and seen him holding a drumstick. So she gets down. Says, would you like to get on stage and play the drums with us for one song? And they pull him, and they pull the him up through the window. 
and to put play him on summer of 69 with the band oh my gosh that's and that awesome. was our first that's night good. ever in yeah. nashville that's yeah. great. That's great. Well, listen, you got a bright future as a drummer. That's how. That's a great story you can tell to anybody. Yeah. We appreciate you, and we, we and you're welcome your anytime. Today. Thank yeah. you, guys. I appreciate Thanks it so much. Thank you for your time. You have a great. Thanks. Night. You're a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you just-